Uh, before I came here to Bromley about 10 years ago, I worked at a church in Brampton, just outside of uh, Toronto. Uh, and in, in that role, I worked with younger people. And so one of the things that you do, well, at least I did when you work with younger people is you, uh, take an interest in their life. You go, Hey, what do you, what do you do? What are your pastimes? Do you, you know, play sports? Are you in drama? What are you into? And so you get to know them. Uh, and it was always a joy of mine to get to know young people and see how, uh, busy they are in their lives and so many things that they do. And when I was working in that role, one of the things that I would occasionally do, would be go and visit them when they were, whether playing a sport or in a play or something like that. And one night I was decided that there was a, one of the youth in our group, she had a play that was happening at her school. So I thought, you know what, I'd really like to go see it and encourage her because she likes acting and all those kind of things. And so I decided, yeah, I'm going to go see her perform in her play. The thing was, I also had school that night because I was still doing school. And I was like, okay, I'm going to leave school early. And what I'll do, if you've ever driven in the Toronto area, because uh, I was in downtown Toronto for school and I needed to get to Brampton, uh, you realize that driving in Toronto is a horrible mess. And so you sometimes, when you need to rush somewhere, you pay a little bit of money to take the express toll route. So I decided that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the Highway 407. It's going to be beautiful. If you've ever driven on Highway 407, they rip you off. But man, it isn't beautiful. There's rarely people there. There's rarely police there. So you go a little bit over the speed. Not much. Just a little bit over the speed limit without worrying. And, and it's such a smooth drive. And then, you know, a month later, they'd send you a bill for $100. But for those 10 minutes, it was wonderful. So I decided I was going to take, take that road. It's 7 o'clock at night. And I know her place starts at 7.30. So I'm going a little bit over the speed limit, driving on the 407, and it's completely clear. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. It was around this time of year. And I'm just driving, and it's, you know, a little bit dark out. And all of a sudden, I see some flashing lights ahead of me. So I think, okay, I'm still safe because they're ahead of me. And then I realize that there's a lot of flashing lights ahead of me. Then I realize that these flashing lights keep getting closer to me. And I think, well, I'm not going that fast. Why are they coming closer to me? And then I realized there's a car coming closer to me as well without any lights on. And this car was driving the wrong way and paying extra money for it (laughs) on the highway. And it had like a slew of police officers following them. And I don't know who this person was or why they were doing it, but I quickly pulled off to the side of the road and, you know, quickly posted on social media that I almost died and all seven people cared. And there's a thing about this driver that I, sticks with me till today. Now, I don't know the situation. I didn't check the news afterwards. I didn't know why that person was driving the wrong way and paying extra money to do so. But they were. And they had to do a lot to get there. Like, they had to intentionally ignore signs that were telling them, don't go this way. They had to intentionally go on roads that had cars coming at them and completely ignore everything in front of them, which is probably why all those police were following them. And as ridiculous as that situation was and how dangerous it was for that person to do that, and again, I don't know why they were, sometimes we do a very similar thing when we see signs in our lives. We completely ignore them. And in fact, go in a way that the signs tell us not to go. And so as we're in this series called Signs, and we've been looking at the signs that Jesus has been showing people about who he is and why it matters, 
we too are looking at these signs and going, what does it say about Jesus? What does it say about us? And am I going to pay attention to the signs or not? So the question I want us to explore today is what do you do when you see a sign? When you see a sign, and of course you are all good drivers, so when you see the speed limit sign, you listen to it. When you say the don't enter sign on the highway, you don't enter in there. I know you, you're good. But when you see a sign in your life, what do you do? Do you plow through it, say, ah, no big deal? Or do you follow what it's telling you? And we're going to explore that question. I want you to keep that in your mind as we spend some time in one of the miracles that Jesus does. That is incredible. And that's going to be found in John's Gospel, chapter 9. But before we jump into it, let's just take a moment to pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who does show us signs. That you, uh, as we sang in that song just a moment ago, are always working. Even when we don't see it. That you are always present. That you are always active. And we just need to pay attention to it sometimes. I pray this morning that we are attentive to what you might have us hear from you. That as we explore these words from scripture, we are open to you and we are attentive to you, Holy Spirit, as to what you want to say to us. Help our hearts and our minds to be open. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to try something with you. And this is this might be a stretch for some of us. Because some of us, if you're a bit like me, aren't very imaginative. So I want you to try and imagine this morning. So again, if it's a stretch, just run with it. Or just completely ignore, whatever. It's like your choice. But I want you to try to imagine as we read this story. I'm going to be breaking it up, as I often do, and kind of talking about context and what it's saying But I want to try and get you to imagine yourself in the story that we're going to look at. There is a host of characters that are in this story, and I think each of us can relate to the characters in some way. So as we read through John chapter 9, and we're going to read most of that chapter, and maybe this is something you can do when you go home and read it on your own and try to imagine, just try to imagine being in that situation. Try to imagine what it would be like to be one of the people in the crowd, or one of the people who is following Jesus, or one of the people who is interacting with Jesus in those moments. Just try to picture yourself there. Try to see what it would look like, what it would feel like, and what's running through your mind as it's all unfolding. This chapter 9 that we get to comes just a little bit after the last story we were in, if you were here last week or if you listened online. And it comes at a time that's called the Feast of Tabernacles. One of the things about John's gospel, and I shared this before, is that he has a lot of attention to detail. And those details all make a difference. And in particular, the last few chapters and this section that we're going to look at takes place at a festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this festival, like they sell, it's still continually celebrated now. If you come into the neighborhood that I live in, uh, in the fall, like in September, October, you'll sometimes see people have tents in their backyard. And it's for the Feast of Tabernacles, because I live in a very Jewish neighborhood. And it's what would happen. And so what they would celebrate at the Feast of Tabernacles is a reminder that while the people were being rescued from slavery, so Moses rescues the people from Egypt and slavery, the book of Exodus tells a story in the Bible, 
God was with them and dwelled in a tabernacle. There was a tent. And so as they remember this story, they put a tent out or some kind of contraption that resembles a tent. And they remember that God was with them. So they're always remembering that God was with them. God dwelled with them. And so this is the festival, this is the season that this story takes place. It's a few days in, it's about a week-long festival, and it's a few days in, and Jesus has this interaction that we're going to look at. And so we're going to jump in at John chapter 9, starting at verse 1. It says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Now this, you know, if, when you read it, you might go, well, that's, that seems a little harsh. Like, you're associating that it was sin that caused him to be born blind. And making the comment, was it him or was it his parents? Now you see, culturally, in our understanding, is they, they lived in, within a context of culture that's very different than the Western world, where a lot of their understanding of society is based on either shame or honor. And the understanding would be that if you had an ailment, if you had something wrong with you, or you did something, you were shaming your family, and so you would be ostracized from community in that sense. We don't really work like that in Western culture, but a lot of Eastern cultures still have that kind of dynamic, where you're looking to bring honor to your family and not shame. And so in that culture, in that ancient Israelite culture, they're dealing with this reality, is that they have this view that there is shame and there is honor, and there is consequence to that shame. So who caused that shame, is the question. Was it this person who was, again, born blind, so somehow they sinned, they did wrong in their life, and were living this consequence? Or was it something their parents did, or even further down the road, and as a result, he's living with the consequence of it. This was a very normal question that they would be asking, because this is part of how they understood the world to work. And now we would say, we should say, that if you are ill, if you have a disease, if you have an ailment, it is not a result of sin. But disease and ailment is because sin exists, that we should recognize that the world was created in such an order and such a goodness before the fall that there was no disease or sin and that or disease or ailments or imperfections let's say and that because of sin we live in a world where it exists so Jesus's answer is going to be not that it's an individual sin but it's a reality of the existence of sin those are very different things so it's not blaming a person or blaming a parent but it's acknowledging that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And Jesus has come to correct it, much like the songs we've been singing. He's our rescuer. So the text continues. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is a day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. This passage should make you pause and wonder. There's a line in there, right at the beginning. It says, this happened, right? So this happened. So Jesus makes this statement, 
And it sounds like, and some of us might interpret it this way, it can sound like that this person's ailment was given by God so that God could show how great he is. And that's sometimes how it gets interpreted. There's a small problem with that, is that the words, this happened, don't actually appear in the original manuscript. They were added on by English translators. And so the text would actually look like this. Julian, thanks. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but, said Jesus, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So it wasn't about someone sinning, as he makes the point, and it wasn't that God punished anyone in any way for no reason. Jesus' point is that this is the reality of the situation, and it is going to reveal God's glory. That's the point of the text. Not that God caused this person to go blind so he can look good later on, to live 40 years in pain and suffering and neglect. It happened, much like in our lives. Things happen, and either glory can come from it, good from God, or we can stay in it and feel exhausted, sad, discouraged. Jesus' point is, it happened, and God is going to show himself in it. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So in that moment, what happens, pretty clear. Jesus performs a miracle. This man grew up never seeing. Can you imagine what it would be like to never be seeing and then all of a sudden see? And how terrifying that would be. I know just when I open my eyes in the morning, it's pretty terrifying. But I would imagine that never seeing people, never recognizing people, never recognizing shapes, never recognizing color, never recognizing light in its fullness would have been amazing and terrifying and overwhelming. Just that flood of the senses. But Jesus does it. He heals him. He heals him, puts mud on his face, and says, go and wash. And so the man goes and washes. You would think, if there's mud on your face, good reason to wash, for sure. And it's a healing. That's the sign. So that's the sign that Jesus performs. And now the question becomes, what do you do with that sign? And here's where I really want you to try to imagine, as best you can, into the story. Imagine what you do with that sign. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who said, who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? They asked. He replied, The man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind, Pharisees being the religious leaders. 
Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So this interaction occurs. The man can see. He's never seen Jesus, but he knows that Jesus is the one who healed. And he goes and people see him, people who know him, people in his community, his neighbors, his friends, his family. We're going to get to that. And they go, is that really him? He never used to be able to see. Why can he see now? And so some say, yeah, that's him. Some say, nah, it can't be. It's a lookalike. And he says, yeah, it's me. I was a guy begging. You've seen me. And they take him to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones who kind of authenticate things, the ones who say, like, this is the work of God or this is not the work of God. And so they take him to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees say, well, what happened here? And the text tells us their big concern is it was the Sabbath, the day you're not supposed to do work. And so they ask, what happened? Why? Not to know if it's a miracle or not, but to know if work was done, and if they were breaking the rules. And so as he says, well, he took mud and put it on my eyes, and then I went and washed. They're thinking through their mind, did he walk too far? Did he break the rule? Was making the mud an act of work? This is what's going through their head. Some of the Pharisees said, said, this is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs so they were divided? When they turned again to the blind man, what have you to say about him? It is your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. The second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he came from. The man answers, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he came from, Yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. As the story is unfolding, as they are inquiring, as they are asking him, like, tell us what happened. They're pressuring him and saying, give glory to God. Don't say that it's Jesus. Give glory to God. In this festival where they're celebrating the reality that God was with them in their worst experience, in their exile, in their exodus, and they're celebrating that there was a God who came near, they could not see who Jesus was and what he was doing. That he was God in the flesh amongst them. And as they're questioning, as they're badgering him, they finally get to the point where they say, you're out. You're not with us anymore. This man who could have never gone to synagogue before because he was blind has this opportunity to enter into a community of believers, a community of faith, a community of people who can follow God and he would follow God with them He's kicked out. Why? Because he couldn't see, and then he could, and he says the person who did it couldn't be evil, and they couldn't handle it. This story has a host of characters, and each of these characters takes a different reality to the sign that they've seen. There's a man who is blind, who is given the sign of, well, he can see. Jesus tells him to go wash his face, and he does, and a miracle occurs. He listens, he obeys. You have his neighbors, his friends, his family, who are divided. They're wondering, well, maybe this isn't real. Maybe this isn't the person I thought it was. You have his parents who say, yeah, that's him, but I'm not too comfortable saying how it happened. You have these Pharisees who are divided saying, well, this doesn't make sense. This isn't how we work. This isn't how God works. They've decided how God works, and it's not that way. And so when we get into this story and we try to imagine it, we have this man, the Pharisees, the family, the neighbors, we have all these characters. And I want to ask you, who are you in this story? Are you the man who was born blind, who hears Jesus and does what he says? Are you the neighbors who see a sign and go, ah, it can't be real, it can't be real? Are you the family who see the sign but then decide, I'm going to deny it for now because it's too difficult to admit that this is true. Or are you so stuck in your belief system that you can see a sign and say, that can't be a sign because it doesn't work with what I think I know, like the Pharisees. When we encounter a sign, and we all get signs every day from God, we have a reality just like these people in the story. And as we can imagine ourselves in the story, who do we imagine ourselves to be? Hopefully none of you imagine to be Jesus, because that would be a little bit, a little bit egotistical. But who are you? Are you the one that hears Jesus and follows? Are you the one that doubts, says it can't be real? Are you the one that knows it's real but ignores it? Are you one that fights against the signs that are right in front of you? Each of us has to answer that for ourselves. 
We're all at different places in our lives. But the reality is true, is that Jesus is who he says he is. As we've explored through John, all these signs were pointing in the first century world to who Jesus is, and we too get to hear the story of who Jesus is through these signs. But there's also the reality of who Jesus is in our lives. And for some of us, we've been sharing that story as well. And so, as with that in mind, who are you in someone else's story? Are you someone who sees the signs and tells others like this man? Are you someone who maybe saw the sign but tells other people to doubt it, be unsure, or to ignore it? Or are you putting rules and stipulations on who Jesus is so people can't come to know him? These signs are evident in your life, and how you display them is important as well. Whether you're trying to figure out who God is, you're seeing the signs of other people's lives. Or whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, you see the signs of other people's lives, but you're also a sign for others. What kind of sign are you? Are you a stop? Turn around? Get away? Or one that brings life into the right directions? Who are you in someone else's story? Can you confess to the miracles that God has done and share those with others? Or do you just try to push people away, not even realizing? A few weeks ago, uh, I gave out these little books, which are like a compilation of the gospel stories. What I invited you to do, uh, we had them out on the back. I put out 80 of them. and what I Actually, I put out 100 or so. But what I invited you to do was to take two. Take one for yourself, because everybody likes something for free, and one to give to a friend or to someone, and to share with them and invite them to read the signs of who Jesus is. About 80 of them were taken. Now, I know you didn't buy, take them so you can sell them like on eBay because they are worthless. But they are life-giving. And I'm hoping that you did give it to someone. And I'm hoping that whomever you gave it to, that as they've been reading it, they've been seeing the signs. And I'm praying that they have. And now I'm praying that you invite them to see the signs in Jesus. To come on Sunday. To hear the story. To know the difference that Jesus makes. If you've shared one of these with someone, I'd like to challenge you and encourage you. Invite them to church on Easter or Good Friday. Maybe sitting in a service isn't the right setting for them. Come to the interactive experience we're going to have, where we're going to walk around the building and explore Jesus' death on Friday. Whatever you do, you are a sign in someone's life. And my encouragement for you is to be that sign that points to Jesus. We are invited to know him, We are invited to experience life in fullness because of him. What you experience, like this man born blind, isn't necessarily your fault, though maybe there are some decisions you made along the way that weren't the best. But you have this opportunity to encounter the God of the universe who can take what shouldn't be, your pain, your suffering, your sorrow, 
and bring hope to it and life like never before. But that's up for you to accept it or not.